yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. The system that operates behind the scenes on almost every single website and almost every single app to show ads. That hidden system is profiling nearly everyone on the internet, where they live, what they do, what they're interested in, and what makes them tick. We found that it was possible to obtain information about people who are decision makers in government for national security for many countries. If you can know pretty much everything that a person is reading and watching and listening to online from this advertising system, you can build a very, very detailed portrait of their lives. If someone has a sexually transmitted disease, if they're worried about bankruptcy, if online gambling is one of their issues, and if so, which particular things are they doing? You know, which sites or apps are they using? All of that. Everything. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler. Now, how important do you regard your civil rights online when it comes to big tech platforms like Google and Meta and others and how they use your data and how they sell ads against that data? And could it even stray into the realm of national security? Well, on today's episode, I'm joined by somebody who I think you could describe as one of the world's foremost participants in this discussion, regularly a thorn in the side of uh, data protection commissioners and someone who shines an awful lot of light on these issues and who's taken very seriously on both sides of the Atlantic. Johnny Ryan, a senior fellow of the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. You're very welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you. Johnny, there's a lot I could talk to you about. Most recently, though, let's start with something that you and the ICCL have identified, and it's to do with national security. So uh, a few weeks ago, Adrian, we released two reports, one in Europe, one in the United States. And what these reports were showing was that the system that operates behind the scenes on almost every single website and almost every single app to show ads, that that hidden system is profiling 
nearly everyone on the internet, where they live, what they do, what they're interested in, and what makes them tick. But that's not actually the full problem. Once those data about us are available, the question is where they then go. And what we found in that report is that those intimate data about all of us are going not only to companies in Europe, not only to companies in the United States, not only to companies in Russia, but even to companies in China as well. And when we, when we obtained evidence from the data broker system, that is the, the industry that sells data about us all, we found that it was possible, for example, to obtain uh, information about people who are decision makers in government for national security for many countries. It was possible to obtain information about people who work in intelligence and counterterrorism. When you say information, what give me a flavor of what kind of thing we're talking about? So, in our report, we mocked up the kind of profile you could build about a person based on what we found. Let me give you an example. If you can know pretty much everything that a person is reading and watching and listening to online from this advertising system, because it broadcasts those data out to thousands of companies, if you can know that and where those people are almost all of the time, you can build a very, very detailed portrait of their lives. So, for example, you could certainly tell where someone lives and where they work. But beyond that, you could know if someone, some of the categories are quite remarkable, if someone has a sexually transmitted disease, if they're worried about bankruptcy, if online gambling is one of their issues, um, and if so, which particular things are they doing? You know, which sites or apps are they using? All of that. Everything. Now, what's really remarkable is as we went through more and more evidence from data brokers. For example, we were finding lists of employees of military companies. Uh, one of them jumps into my mind. It's one I'd never heard of before, GFK. What's GFK? GFK is a small aerospace contractor that just won the contract to service the landing gear of the Dutch F-35 fighter jet fleet. <laughs> so you can find an employee of a military contractor or an active, you know, an active security uh, personnel. Um, you can find where they are and you can find intimate things about them that might make it very, very much more possible to compromise them. Things that were not intended for wider consumption were buyable. Now, U.S. lawmakers have, have referred to this problem as a goldmine for foreign intelligence. That's domestically how they look at it with their national security framing. We at the Irish Council for Civil Liberties were concerned, you know, we're completely independent. We're not paid for by the state. We're not paid for by companies. We are concerned and have been since the 70s with fundamental rights and freedoms. If every citizen coming up to the next election can be profiled in this way, in the same way that a, that a general of some armed forces can be profiled by their foreign adversary, we have a systematic problem. 
And, you know, what's really alarming is that this is not the first time we presented this evidence. We have presented this for years. But as soon as we put the words national security on this data protection problem, on this rights problem, which you and I are victims of, certainly, but as soon as we say generals, ministers, judges, we found all of those, by the way, um, were, were subject to this, it got a different level of interest. And that's sobering. Mm. I remember on a smaller level a couple of years ago, two years ago, there was a data breach associated with uh, Facebook uh, and Meta, and that exposed the mobile phone numbers and addresses and emails of thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, I think hundreds of thousands of people. And I was, was able to identify judges and uh, police officers and prison officers mm. by their uh, email addresses, their names, and by their uh, by their mobile numbers. And I remember thinking this was a big deal and we made a little bit of noise about it. It never really got the kind of outrage that I thought it might. Maybe I should have just tagged national security to it. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Uh, what what's, what's interesting is we're used to the idea of a data breach uh, a company loses control over the information. Someone breaks in and takes the information. What I'm talking about, though, is far, far crazier. This is a system where the biggest, some of the biggest companies in the world, Google, Microsoft, etc., intentionally share the information. Now, this is the underlying commercial system that they use to make and, money. And it's not necessary. But let me give you an example. Google has well over a thousand companies in its public list in Europe of who can receive data in order to run an advertising auction for a single ad, right? Over a thousand companies are on that list. Now, if you do a quick search through those companies, you won't recognize almost any names. But even on that list, there's many companies that are Russian or Chinese. Now, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that it isn't a problem if these data are being shared wide, widely, even within Europe. But you would imagine that it's, it's something that these companies should at least be taken to task over, that they're also sharing this data further. Now, Google says since the war, they've stopped sharing with Russia. But okay, let's, let's accept that at face value. Still sharing with, with China and others, but not sharing with Russia. When they were sharing with Russia, one of the companies that they were sending data about Europeans to, according to their own documentation, was called AI data. Now, no one's ever heard of AI data, so why do I mention it? AI data is a data broker. It's one of those companies that sells data. And when we went through our data broker list, we found that the kind of data you can buy from that data broker includes people in Russia who visit opposition politics websites ah. and Google sending them that mm. kind of data. Okay, I can see why So this that, is yeah. scary stuff. Mm. Now, you mentioned the term data brokers and I mentioned it in relation to the New York Times uh, investigation as well. Maybe at this point, it might be helpful just to explain to listeners how a data broker works for ads. Yes, well, let me split the things up. Data brokers have been with us for decades. 
from the early days of a small village, it was very helpful to have a book that said uh, to Adrian, Johnny is not going to pay back any loans you make. <laughs> so you can imagine there was a ledger of trust. Now, when magnetic tape arrived, and then you had social security numbers for people in the United States, and then you had the photocopying machine, data brokers became much more sophisticated. And so you had long-lived credit ratings of people. And of course, that is a, a deep concern. The idea of having long-lived records, sometimes very necessary, sometimes incredibly troubling. And I'm getting off topic, but let me give you one example. Uh, famously, Interpol has been around a long time. Interpol used to have records of, of criminals, people of interest, suspects. And this is back in the 30s. And then Anschluss happens. And the Nazis marched in to Vienna, and they took those records and used them for their own purposes, which put those people uh, at mortal risk. So the idea of a long-term record, while it can be useful, it's clearly something you need to lock down and protect very carefully. In online advertising, the way nearly all content on the internet is today paid for is very, very troubling. You arrive, let's take a web page. You arrive on a web page and you're reading about something highly sensitive and compromising. It could be you're finally facing up to your alcoholism and you're, you've gone to this place for support. Now, at the top of that page, there's at least one rectangle that will contain an ad. That's how they're paying for that editorial content. And as your device is loading the editorial content that you want to, to read, a message goes out to other companies who are not the publisher of the content saying, do any of you want to show this guy, Johnny, who is reading this article about facing up to alcoholism and he's standing here in the emergency room in Vincent's. You know, something bad just happened to him. He's confronting his life choices. Now, all of you receiving this information, you might know him as 23561B. We're not giving out his name because we don't have it. The people receiving the information probably have a profile about me already. They might have known I was an alcoholic before I did. And they can decide, do they want to bid money to show me their ad? And that's a competitive auction that can involve hundreds, conceivably thousands of different companies. So what you have is a broadcast, a throwing out literally to the winds of information about where I am right now and what I'm reading right at this moment and a unique code so that anyone who's already been keeping track of me for the last few weeks or months or year can know I'm the same guy. And in theory, this is very useful because the right advertiser can decide, that's our guy. That's our prospect. We want to show him our ad. In reality, in the industry, and I used to work in it, it doesn't actually work very well. There's very high levels of fraud. It's terrible for publishers and for advertisers. Very good for the tech firms, admittedly. Um, but as far as privacy goes, hundreds or thousands of companies are learning that I'm an alcoholic mm. at that moment. So if next month I apply for my dream job and an algorithm is deciding whether to shortlist my CV or not, I might not even have my CV ever read by a human because I happened to read that page one month ago when I was in hospital. Mm. That's the reality we're in now. And the other interesting part of this is we talk of 
but Google and Meta and Microsoft and companies like that. And they're companies we know and we can name and to a certain extent can put pressure on um, through our parliamentary systems or otherwise. A lot of these data brokers are names that people would have never mm. heard of. I mm-hmm. actually, I need to go back up and, and, and check what their names are. I, I remember writing about them about two years ago and I've forgotten their names again. Well, often they change their names. Mm. I'd say listeners may remember Equifax mm. because yes. of the huge data breach. Some of them may even have been paid some money by Equifax uh, when it was forced to make a payout. Equifax has gone through several names. Every time there's a scandal, they change their name. One of the biggest data brokers in the world is headquartered in Malahide. <laughs> Malahide. In Malahide. And that's Experian. Oh, Experian, of course. Yes. Another yes. big one would be Axiom. So there's, there's a lot of these companies, but fundamentally, the model is build a picture of people, build a picture of what makes them tick, and sell that picture to, you know, it seems, whoever will buy. Whoever will buy. So that's a problem. Now, it is very hard to get people worried about their privacy in the same way that it's very hard to get people to care about their pension before they hit a certain age. Um, The example I gave you about a job interview is sobering, but you might think, well, what can I do about it? The funny thing is it's, it's not really for us as individuals to solve this problem. We've already done all that we can. We passed very strong law in this area we're just not seeing enforcement of the law. Yeah, and and that's maybe a good segue to bring on my, my final question. Enforcement, we're seeing a changing of the guard here in Ireland at the moment with the Data Protection uh, Commissioner. Helen Dixon is moving on after almost 10 years in the job next February. Dublin, as you well know, is the centre for a lot of um, enforcement. You have often held critical uh, views about the pace of that enforcement and other aspects of it. I suppose looking at the last 10 years, how would you rate the performance of the DPC here in Ireland? Let me say two things. I I do think there is a a changing of the guard. I'll, I'll give you the first part of the answer you may be surprised by. Ireland is leading the world in a very closely related area. Yes, there's the Data Protection Commission. Yes, it has been a disappointment. It has been a disappointment since before the current leadership. It's a historical disappointment, really from as far as anyone can recall. And let's hope that the DPC can be reformed and that it can be strengthened and that it can protect us all. And you say that because of pace of enforcement or... or well, when you say pace of enforcement, that, that implies that if you wait long enough, enforcement will happen, real enforcement. I don't think we're yet at a point where we can talk about a pace of enforcement problem. We're still waiting for actual substantive enforcement. Fines aren't the thing. However, there is a changing of the guard. Um, we don't know that the DPC will, will enjoy some material and substantive change especially without an independent review of how that could be uh, achieved. Um, What is interesting is Commission the Man set up only in March. Now, this this is warp speed as far as regulators go. This young enforcement agency was set up in March, and this month it has led the world. It has 
produced a draft code that will be binding on companies like uh, YouTube, TikTok, and so forth. And buried in that code is something that has not happened anywhere else. The toxic recommender systems, the things that profile our children, that find out how to manipulate them, and that feed them a diet of self-loathing, of hate, hysteria, disinformation, suicidal ideation. Those systems will have to be switched off. That's, that's the new rule set out by this new Irish regulator. And that is world leading. And let me give you an example of just how acutely important that step is. And it's, it really is remarkable that Ireland should lead the world on this now. Amnesty International um, produced a really good piece of work in the last month. They were examining TikTok and they set up a fake profile, a dummy profile, a completely new profile they launched on TikTok of a user who was aged 13. That's what the system believed. They looked at a few videos of mental health content and within one hour of launching that profile, that 13-year-old profile started to receive pro-suicide videos from the recommender system. Now, we've had 10 years of big tech's toxic algorithm making the decision for us on what we're going to see online. And thanks to Commission Naman, we may finally get to a point where people can decide for themselves what they want to see and what they want to share. So it's there are two sides to the regulatory story here in Ireland is what you're saying. You, you are disappointed and remain disappointed in, in the DPC's uh, side of things, although they would say that they've find big tech billions of euro and 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 that 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 their judgments by and large stick because they they take a couple of years to should we talk about fines and then let's <laughs> talk about judgments if i make let's say i make uh, 600 euro a week selling ice cream from my ice cream truck outside of school well done I'm doing great. But the problem is I'm parked on double yellow lines and that's illegal. So you come along and you hand me a ticket and you say, that's going to cost you 20 euro. And I say, okay, I'm very sorry. <laughs> By the way, I'll challenge that in court. Okay, I accept it. I'll pay 20 euro. I'm now making 580 euro every week. <laughs> so, oh, so I see. So, 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 so you're saying that if the DBC fines meta, say 2 billion euro, say, over it's the last few years. It's a cost of business. It's, okay, you're fines saying it's a cost of business. are not the thing. Now, fines are useful, right? In theory, they could be dissuasive if you also stop the behavior. Well, well they would say that they also uh, put requirements into those decisions for the companies to change their behavior. Well, it, it's actually not a matter of what anyone says. It, it's either in the thing or it isn't. In some cases, there are some measures. Um, what we're not seeing, though, is really substantive investigation, rapid investigation, and then we are banning your use of these data for that purpose. We don't see that. So, I, yeah, and a lot of the point that you make goes back to this fundamental underlying flaw as you see it in terms of real-time bidding, doesn't it? Real-time bidding, which is the system we were talking about yep. at the beginning in advertising, is one problem. There are so many. Um, <laughs> we, we had, after Snowden, this incredible moment where we introduced this very, very strong and I think quite clear data protection law. 
It was clear to me when I was in industry what it meant. It was clear to my colleagues. It's just nearly all of industry decided to go the other way and they were never beaten up for it. And we are where we now are. Um, Real-time bidding is one problem, but there are so many. And we're really at the very early days of hoping that there will eventually be some enforcement of data protection law. Now, let me suggest to you, when people hear data protection, it would be shocking if they didn't yawn. (laughs) And, you know, you think about the GDPR and you think this is a nuisance. I'm being confronted with pop-ups demanding I click things I don't care about. ICCL is currently at Europe's top court trying to get rid of those pop-ups because, funnily enough, they are a legal scam. They are covering an underlying data breach themselves. There is a problem with them. But if you think about data as something really important for how power now works in the world, how you as an individual can be manipulated, and, and stop thinking of it as a compliance exercise, you realize that the, the lawful use of data, again, not sexy, the lawful use of data, if we could crack that, if we even tried, if we started to do the basics to ensure that that happened, we would solve quite a few problems. But they're all coming at us together. And there is no sense, and I say this, you know, you asked me about regulation, just elevating it just from the national consideration I do a lot of work in Brussels, and I have no sense that the European Commission realizes that there are six horse persons, horsemen, women, whatever, of the apocalypse, and they are galloping towards us, and they are bringing us to a very dark place if we don't urgently address them. And the failure of enforcement in Dublin is absolutely critical to not having faced up to these problems. Johnny Ryan, on that positive note... (laughs) We have a lot to talk about, I think. Um, but listen, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us today. Johnny Ryan, a senior fellow of the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Gav Hennessy was on sound today and JJ Clark produced but from me, Adrian Wackler. You've been listening to The Big Tech Show. We'll talk to you soon. Shachten. An Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Irokti Yen of Chacht Erachor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche nach Vetoch Ara Igornamion on Kestin Echo. Vien Tolamaginom Griv Orkor Nrachtum. Yatakshe Torrent Griven Orkorston, Elis Duhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs are Dukashin Echor. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.